Escape the Cold Weather with the CBB Central Podcast. Um, we are recording here in Chicago. I believe it's two degrees right now, maybe below that. Earlier this weekend, it was negative 10. I was glad to escape for a couple of days, go to North Carolina. Um, yeah, this is yeah, this is bizarre stuff. We're recording as you know, the games go Tuesday night. I'm watching Wake Forest, NC State just ejected Hunter Salas out of nowhere. Really bizarre stuff. But the weather's weird. It's weird everywhere. Tennessee had a huge snowstorm. I mean, they, well, the whole world seems to be like collapsing. You guys had snow today, right, Brad? A couple inches today in Massachusetts. Quite the uh, quite the scene. So uh, I was I was in the Carolinas over the weekend. Went to Duke and North Carolina games. Pretty cool experience. Two of the better uh, atmospheres in college basketball. Certainly, Cameron Indoor sitting courtside is a special thing. Um, I will say though, I have a hot take. Podcast exclusive hot take. Before we get into any games, before we get into any you know teams, we've got a lot to get to today. My my hot take is that the atmosphere at the pit in New Mexico is better than the atmosphere at Duke. And who did Duke play? Was it Georgia Tech? Georgia Tech. But the students were there. It's a full it's a full normal situation. They weren't on break. They were there. Wow. Yeah, students are back. Maybe that speaks to, speaks more to the decline of the ACC. I don't know. I, I I I thought Duke was really good, but I didn't think it was any better. I mean, it's very unique because the gym is so small, but I didn't think it was any better necessarily than. Um, I don't think it was necessarily better than going to Purdue, um, or even like the best Illinois atmospheres have been. It was really good. I'm sure, like, Cam, you know, UNC Duke is probably a different deal. And uh, I don't mean to disparage you guys. It's certainly one of the best in college basketball. Very unique. I mean, you cannot move in that place. It is so small. I mean, it literally feels like you are in, like, a, a private uh, – you're, like, a Catholic middle school. Um, where there's, like, no no room to move, tiny-ass gym. The, the hallways are, like, carpeted. There's no, like, media – there's very little room for, like, the media wander. We're, we're so used to these concourses. None of that. It's like one tiny room on each side that you can get into in the locker rooms. But uh, it's really a cool experience. Glad I got to do it. Um, I would answer any questions people have to stream on Twitter about you know, that atmosphere versus others I've been to. Haven't been to everything. You know, single games are single games, so I, I don't want to uh, <clears throat> project too much. I know that was great. But my hot take is that if you ask me my favorite, the coolest atmosphere I've been in in college basketball after, uh, after this, going to Cameron, I think I would still say pit at the university of new mexico so wait so the pit is your number one I, I truly believe so it's just a different level of like nuts the people there are like berserk because well i guess the way i would put it is i feel like a lot of these other places are very like they're very student section dependent new mexico has a good student section but i feel like the regular fans are a lot more nuts at new mexico interesting well, we'll I mean, see, you're I, I you're going to the spectacle and next week, right? The uh, I will be, yes. We'll see about that one. That's again, it's not going to be a game; it's going to be a spectacle. But <laughs> well, I have seen some uh, some some overzealous uh, tweets from the fans of Georgetown who are who are now licking their chops at Providence. Although. After Xavier's performance, I think Xavier just might have figured it out. I don't think it's as much that Providence stinks. I mean, Providence didn't play well, sir. No, Providence was pretty bad. Um, 
I'm it was, just, it was, it was I, funny I because I had, I was just saying I thought Xavier is starting to look good. They are, um, but Providence was very bad. And, that, and on Saturday morning, um, I counted my chickens. I'd already penciled in the win against Xavier, and I was about to either text you or tweet. I, I couldn't decide. Well, my I, I I mapped it all out how the Big East was 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 going to get eight bids, and this is what needed to happen. No one loses to Paul or Georgetown. Xavier can only beat DePaul and Georgetown. And then UConn or the teams at the top go like 14 and 6. If that happened, I thought that eight bids were on the table. Since then, Providence got their doors blown off. Then Xavier just picked up another win against Butler. So now we're looking at probably six at this point. But it's, 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 it's not over for Butler. It's technically not over for Providence, although uh, the, the, the only faith I have left is blind faith. The only reason I would have any faith in Providence would be the idea that, like, it's going to take them a little bit of time to get used to playing with uh, play, playing without Bryce. And now that they've had a little bit of it, maybe they figure it out. I will say I've seen a lot of tweets uh, from Providence fans who are like, I don't understand why we don't run enough sets. You can't play in concepts if you don't have, like, talented players. But that's, like, not really true. I've been saying the set thing since the preseason. I mean, and I do we, think there is the art still of, like, yeah, there's a, there's the art of scheming guys open. But, like, if you're playing in concepts, you will get good shots if the players are playing within the concepts. See, like, now, I, I'm not a Division One head coach, so I guess take this with a grain of salt. But if my team was ranked 170th in the country in offense. Sure. Maybe I'd mix in a few plays. I mean, that's that's just me. With I mean, Devin Carter is like an NBA lock at this point. We'll see if he's first round, second round, whatever. But that's one NBA player. Oduro and Hopkins are both like 15 point per game guys. Pierre's going to be double figures now. Gaines... Could, could be double figures. Like, you have good players, but your offense... You have good offensive players, but your offense was abhorrent. Well, I don't know. That, I, I think the issue is you don't have any real shot creation. Correct? You were cut out, sorry. Oh, uh, I, I said that I, I thought that your issue seems to be that you don't have any shot creation. Like even, yeah, like it's it's, even Carter, it's turnovers and missed, and missed open shots, yeah. and then missed free throws, which kills your offensive efficiency. Oh yeah. Um, look, I I don't know. I I think you're probably more nit at this point, but all it takes is one like shocker. You just got to do what Butler did and win at Marquette, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, here we are. I mean, I I I really don't want to say this, but I'm like more interested in. Mr. Bonk now. 7-2 guy falling out of the clouds from an island that hosted a Survivor season. I've literally never heard of this place in my life. Season 9 of Survivor. Survivor Vanuatu. I I didn't know that they had, like, a bustling population of people. Maybe they don't. But. Yeah, for, for the uninitiated, Anton Bonk who would have been a top 10 Juco player in the country if he didn't enroll in Providence 
he's he's enrolled. He's he's there now. Uh, going to redshirt the second half of the season. Uh, but he's seven two. His first year playing organized basketball. He was on the junior Olympic rowing team for Vanuatu. And why Vanuatu has a junior Olympic rowing team? Who knew? And I, I guess it's it's an island, so I guess that makes sense. But um, seven two. I'm hoping he's the next Zach Eady. <laughs> well, if nothing else, you got some optimism. I'm glad for you for that. Um, I guess we can probably stay in the Big East um, to get started. I know you wanted to get off your chest with some of these Rick Pitino comments because he 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 has certainly not gotten any less quotable uh, in his time. I mean, the, the craziest one. I think he 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 had to Adam Zagoria earlier this week, where he said something like, "You you don't." Like, like the media that never gave St. John's a chance. Like everyone picked Seton Hall ahead of us, which like is the exact opposite of what happened. Like literally no one gave Seton Hall any thought. People were putting St. John's in the top 25 before they had one player on their roster. Like that's just the most absurd thing. And then Patino had probably the second most absurd thing was the yelling at the refs is cheating. Like, yes. does like, he think that that we don't know that he's yelled at refs before? Like, <laughs> what on earth was that? Well, and then just in general, this tiff with Danny Hurley, which the yelling at refs thing is absolutely the last, you know, the, the, the next phase of that is just extremely fun. Every bit of it. I mean, the Carnesecca thing, the, the yelling at the refs thing, he like leaked that they found some of Hurley's behavior on the sideline when the teams played the first time unprofessional which was as i understand it just danny telling the refs to tee up rick for being out of the coach's box um it has been it has been quite the journey of this rivalry so that february 3rd game is going to be very very fun and then and then the the least crazy of it all was that rick said that when when they lose he wants to what, dive in a fucking snowbank and die of frostbite or something? He always, uh, he, he's had variations of this comment. Because Iona, at one point, he said that, like, when he, when he loses, he wants to, like, jump in the Hudson and die. So it, the, the common threat is dying. How he dies, I guess, depends on the day. I do feel the same way as Rick whenever my team loses as well. Um, <laughs> but it's I funny. Also, <laughs> the media is just so encapsulated. In, in, uh, it's just so captured by Rick. They don't understand how to like deal with him rationally. Like every like, like I think most other coaches they said that they wanted to die of frostbite every time they lost. But like this is a little concerning. With Rick, it's like oh, ha ha, funny Rick. And then with the yelling at the refs, like for for our entertainment, it's great that Dan Hurley yells at the refs. Like he should really like try to stop yelling at the refs. And it's it's funny because on the CBS podcast the other day they did like a, a poll of like. Who do you think of in terms of college basketball coaches when you say, like, yelling at the refs or something? Like, a coach yelling at the refs, who do you think of? And they unanimously were like Fran McCaffrey. And it, I was appalled. Like, it's obviously Dan Hurley. Like, like Fran has bigger blow-ups. But, like, Dan, Dan Hurley get, has, like, these, like, crazy pouting, stomping fits, like, every other game. We saw one on Sunday against Georgetown. Like to me, he is the I- iconic um, 
ref disruptor at this point. Sorry to Fran. Well, I was going to say, I mean, Fran is not actually that disruptive. Fran just decides he's done and then goes absolutely nuclear and gets ejected. He's actually kind of like the least disruptive ref ever. Or least disruptive coach to rest ever because he doesn't like he just doesn't he doesn't spend the entire game badgering people. He just like this when he's done he's done. Whereas Danny Danny will just like wear you down and destroy you and you know swear at you and stare and stare at you and do everything he can to just be an annoyance all game, but never gets ejected. Well, not never, but like he gets ejected all us. I, I will say the only time he really felt like super chill, like last March he was very chill. And I don't know why. I, I I wonder if it was just like a confidence, because I think his I think his uh, fieriness has de- flared up since Klingon got hurt. That was also right at the start of Big East play. So I don't know, you know how, how the things are correlated, but I, I almost wonder if it's kind of like an insecurity, or like when he truly believes his team has no chance of losing, he can like relax. But without it, he's just so nuts that he can't like he just can't sit around and like chill like he. He like him yelling at the refs is like masking his insecurity about his team's ability to win. This is number one team in the country. Yeah. Which I, I agree with you. I think Purdue should be number one in, in UConn number two. Um, but we haven't seen UConn with Klingon in a while. But also they just went undefeated without Klingon. Um I, and, and I guess I, they're playing Creighton tomorrow. We'll see if Klingon's back or not, but I think the UConn thing is crazy that they're number one. They're eighth in Ken Palm. Um, their two losses are whatever loss. I mean, you know, good good teams, whatever. At Seton Hall is a bubble team that's no different than like Northwestern or Nebraska for Purdue. But who is UConn's UConn's second best win is a road win at Xavier, probably. No, they beat no, road? they beat UNC. Yeah, their second best is either road Xavier or it's the neutral Gonzaga. No, Texas is a better win than Gonzaga. I mean, Texas. I don't think Texas is a tournament team. Okay, by Ken Palm. By Ken Palm. It's Gonzaga, 25, Xavier, 29, Texas, 41. Okay? So Xavier is their third best win. Xavier is Gonzaga's, like, or, or excuse me, is Purdue's, like, eighth best win. Purdue has beaten... Number five, Tennessee, number 17, Marquette, number seven, Alabama, number three, Arizona, number 13, Illinois, number 29, Xavier. Like, they've beaten everybody. To me, it's, like, not even close. I mean, I'm not a huge resume guy as much as, a, like, a feel, a yeah. vibes guy here. You know, kind of like a couple weeks ago where people were appalled that others were ranking Texas. And I was kind of like, well, if you think that they're going to be what they were expected to now that Dylan Dylan DeSue is back, I'm fine with ranking them. I'm I'm more concerned of you should rank teams based on whether you, you, you're lining teams up on who you would pick on a neutral court or how you think it's going to shake out at the end of the year. Um, like I'm I'm much more appalled by like the Utah State everyone having them like top 15. I take like 40 teams over Utah State. If 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 by, by the grace of God Providence makes it as an 11 seed and we got six seed Utah State in the first round, I'd do 15 backflips. I would be already looking 
looking toward the three seed there. You know, like as long as you look at, you know, UConn versus Kansas or Houston and you think that they're better on neutral court and that that's going to hold up to the end of the year, then you have rank ahead of them. I just, I just think like if you're, if you're, if you're thinking like level of surprise every time they lose, UConn is way lower than Purdue. Like I'm floored every time Purdue loses. And then like it happens and I'm not like, I, I watched the game like, Oh, well that makes sense that they lost that game, but it still just feels like it, it, it feels impossible until it happens. I guess, but I mean, like I was pretty floored when UConn lost to Seton Hall too. I wasn't that floored by that. that was I guess Klingon Cl- went out mid-game, but right, and the Klingon. Like, no, but like UConn does does not feel as insurmountable as they did last year. Correct. If maybe I'm playing UConn, I'm not like, oh, we have no chance. I'm like, oh, maybe you know, Kim Spencer and Tristan Newton don't shoot it well. And and we we could have a chance. I do think it's kind of crazy that their small ball lineup has worked as well as it did. Like Caravan as a five and Castle as a four, or 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 I guess flip them how, how you see fit. You wouldn't necessarily think that that would work, right? Like it's a very difficult matchup. I mean, well, I think look, I mean. Thinking about the Big East, how many teams are you afraid of, like, the true post-up? Well, I mean, ju- I mean, just posting up or, like, a, or like in, you know, offensive rebounding, interior scoring as well. Post-up. Because to I, me, that's the hardest. You, you can gang rebound your way out of other stuff. I guess St. John's, Providence. It's probably St. John's, Providence. Should be Creighton, but Kalkbrenner doesn't they look really at the rim play. half the time. Yeah. Um. Not not Marquette. Yeah. Villanova right. definitely. Yeah, Villanova, sure. Yeah. I guess my point is that like I I don't know I, I'm I'm in most cases I'm living with post up baskets. And I guess like like Marquette's roster doesn't really um lend itself to going small, but like you wouldn't think that a David Joplin Zade Lowry four five would necessarily work, right? Probably not, but I think Caravan's more physical. Than than Joplin? Yes. Castle's definitely more more, more physical than Lowry now, but yeah. I uh, mostly have uh I've been thinking a lot about next year's Marquette roster. Um and that's a lineup that We'll probably get used next year, but anyway. My, my last personal thought on the Big East, and then we can move on because we feel like we spend all so much time with Big East every week. Seton Hall is beating St. John's by 12 right now, nearing halftime. I'm not saying for sure, not for sure that they win this game. Obviously, things can change quickly. But like, if Seton Hall gets to six and one in the league, at what point do we start mentioning Shaheen Holloway as like the Louisville coach? And given the NIL issues, I'm sure he would look at other options despite being an alum. Uh, but yeah, no, you're, 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 you're I don't right. Think I mean, anything, but a, I think this is a, 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 a incredible coaching job. They have talent, but even you know, I I think I was the highest on Seton Hall. I had them eighth 
and make the NIT. And they're going to be six and one with still three games versus DePaul and Georgetown, I think. So um, they're well on their way to a surprise tournament bid. Yeah, they probably have to at least like win a tournament game. But I mean, if he gets them to like the top two or three in the Big East, and then you know he has an elite eight on his record, and he's a you know, black guy, he's you know he's a, he's a inspiring former player, guy. former player should be able to recruit. Like I don't know, I'd be interested. I, I don't know that he'll be like the first choice. Like I think Muss will be in that conversation certainly, but. And I mean, w- with all the dominoes, right? Maybe if you know, Musk gets Louisville and somebody else. I may maybe Jerome Tang gets Arkansas, and then would Gene want to go to Kansas State? I don't know, but yeah, uh, it depends. Depends on the NIL coffers and if Seton Hall is it are really as bad as people say, because looking at the roster for next year, you're going to have to pay up to keep Kadari Richmond, Dre Davis, maybe Wuzu and Coleman aren't going to be free. And you, you, you probably want to add some high upside transfers to come off the bench too. So um, definitely Richmond and Davis will be making a killing next year, whether it's for Seton Hall or on the market. Year? What's up? Richmond has eligibility? Yeah. God, he has been around forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy to me. It feels like he, he, he feels like he should be done. He is one more year. You see um, John, John Tanjay's redshirting now. He'll, he'll get a sixth year. Yeah, it feels like it's inevitable he's in the portal. Yeah. They, they kind of laid the groundwork for that when they said that it was a uh, – the injury was from the preseason. But it seems inevitable to get a sixth year, and it seems inevitable that he'll be in the portal. Um, be interesting to see what level he's at. But. And then just last thing on redshirt speculations, because Tyler Kolek played better yesterday. Uh, I don't know if his shooting is going to keep him from the NBA. He might just be better off coming back and making a big NIL. And then Sean Jones, who tore his ACL, you could redshirt him next year, kind of keep that train rolling. But yeah, there anyway. was there was a there was a moment or two where you sort of said to yourself, oh, you know, like you know, Kolek could be an NBA player, but like I don't know, just like aesthetically, I, it just it doesn't feel like it, you know. He he's got to shoot it better. I just I guess I look at Colin Gillespie, who's like destroying the G League, but like is really really on the fringe. And I'm not quite convinced that Kolek is going to be like a substantially better NBA player than that. Gillespie was a knockdown shooter too. Right. Now I think Kolek's a little bit faster. I think he's actually a little bit better passer. Much better passer. Yeah. Right. And 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 bigger. You know, maybe two inches bigger. So. But. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I think we're. I think there's. I, I think Seton Hall is certain, certainly starting to feel like this year's Providence. Um. Of like the you know the Cooley years where like. They just won a couple close games, and now they just like believe they're not losing them, you know. Kind of in a similar vein, but more nationally. Yeah. Do you you have any picks for the team that's kind of off the board right now? That's going to make a push here. In the past, we've seen Texas A&M do it with Buzz. We've seen Providence do it a couple times. Yeah. You you have any, any team in mind that you're waiting on? Um. Uh... It's a good question. 
I don't really know that I do at the moment, but let's look. What about like Iowa? That's a good one, actually. They've they've just always felt like a good team to me, despite them not having anything to show for it. Yeah, their only bad loss is home Michigan. Um, the only issue I think these teams are going to have in the Big Ten is that you're not getting anything out of the you're not going to get as much out of these wins. Like these games that used to be like you'd be playing them, you'd be like, oh, this is a you know quad one home game, quad two road game. They're like quad two road games. Or some of them are quad two home games. It's still, still quad two road games, but a lot of them are like quad two home games, fringe quad three home games. Like, I just don't think the resumes are going to be as as juiced. But Iowa is certainly playing a lot better. Um, the big kid Owen Freeman has been tremendous, and they put yeah. him in the starting lineup starting in that Michigan game. Since then, they've won six of seven. You know, again, part of that or after the Michigan game, so six of eight total, six of seven. Um, you know, part of that certainly has been, you know, they played. Rutgers at home, that's a win. Nebraska at home probably should be a win, right? But, you know, they're much better defensively when he's the four. Um, they're much better, excuse me, when, when Cricky is the four and he's the five. Tony Perkins has been playing better. I think, I, I think they tried to play small ball because they didn't feel like they had a lot of depth, but, like, their wings aren't actually that good. But, yeah, I wouldn't be, like, floored, certainly. I think Fran's teams are, you know, certainly very talented offensively. Uh, I was trying to think of a Big Ten team, and I was like, I didn't just, I just didn't feel like Ohio State counted. I feel like Ohio State, just talent-wise, has felt good to me all year. And they've, you know, started a little slow. And then in, in the ACC, I think Virginia Tech might be in a better spot than certainly I gave them credit for last week. Because they have a neutral over Iowa State. Ooh. Yeah, that's right, in Orlando. Um, so kind of similar to the Big Ten teams where, you know, maybe 12 and 8 is not going to do it, but the opportunities are there where you could go 14 and 6. Um, this is probably a good transition into the ACC. Um, because NC State's now 5 and 1 in the league. They're not, I don't know that they're that good, but like they're kind of in a similar spot to last year where they can just kind of hang around, hang around, get to 13 wins and sneak in, right? I think Duke, Duke and Carolina have certainly established themselves as number one, but number number one and number two. Um, but like, what is your feeling on the rest of this league? I think Wake's good. I think NC State's okay. I think Miami's probably a tournament level team. I think Clemson's probably a tournament level team. Um, after that, I mean, there's a lot of teams that feel like they're beating you, but not a lot of truly good teams. Right, so as as you said, tier one with UNC and Duke. Then I think third place, despite taking a couple losses, I might go Wake Forest. That's that's again, that's more of a feel. You know, they just feel better. They feel different with Efton reading the lineup. And Wake has two close losses on the road. And Hunter Salas is playing extremely well. Like the. Basically, their whole lineup, top to bottom, is playing, re- you know, really well. It seems. Yeah. Um, Miami, you want to love them. The Louisville loss is concerning. The metrics are concerning. The, the but, Louisville loss is like a catastrophe at home. I mean, that was insane that they lost that game. That, that that's that's kind of these last few years of just like a general 
nonchalance, I guess, where they're just they're punting on defense sometimes. They're you know, Poplar was out, I think, for that game. So no, no, he played. He was out for another game then, but yeah, they um, played their normal starters. They played Pack Poplar, Bensley Joseph, Matthew Cleveland, and Omir. They don't don't have a ton of depth. I don't know. I, I mean, they they yeah, they still feel like a good team. I I would not want to play them in in the NCAA tournament. The the offense still feels potent. I like their talent. I think I put them at four. And then Clemson f- feels like they're slipping a bit. We had a little Joe Joe Gerard Brad Brownell little tussle on on Saturday. I think Clemson were overrating the quote unquote slip because they had a much harder schedule early on in the league. Right? They're but five they're, they're, they're but, two and three in the league, but they're five and, and they're playing Georgia Tech right now. Like that's a game you don't want to lose. But um but their five league games are at Pitt, at Miami, home Carolina, at Virginia Tech, home Boston College. Um so so I put them at five. They're their talent seems lower than Wake and Miami, despite having one of the best players in the conference, and PJ Hall. So I think I think those five can all get the tournament bids. Clemson, I'm obviously shaky on, and Miami and Wake have work to do in a league with not a lot of opportunities. So that's kind of the downside there. Um, but then you you have a nice threesome coming up with Virginia, Virginia Tech, and NC State. Um, none of whom I really like, but I think you have to acknowledge that they're pretty close in terms of resume and talent wise. Can we can we actually talk? I, I I think the two teams I really wanted to zoom in on were North Carolina and Virginia in the ACC. Um, so can we start with Virginia? Yeah. It's starting to feel a little like concerning, big picture, how bad they've been the last month. Am I crazy for thinking that? I mean, they have lost four games by 15 or more points in the last month. And their wins uh, are... And the most recently it was against Wake Forest, right? Oh. Their wins are... The wins are Louisville, Morgan State, and a two-point win over Northeastern. Yeah, and, you know, don't don't give me all this, oh, Virginia has NIL ready to go whenever Tony Bennett signs off, like... If if you have NIL, you would have NIL. So let me put it here. Let, let me let me put it in perspective. Since that Northeastern game, Virginia is the 222nd best team in the country. And that's like a month ish. That's a month. I mean, that's 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 actually exactly a month. It's the 16th to the 16th. I'm not sure there's a lower high major. I'm looking right now. I'm not convinced that there's a lower high major. DePaul. DePaul is apparently, unless there's a high major below 300 since then, there is not another high major playing worse than Virginia. They've gotten you know blown out four times. And I think the thing that's concerning to me because we had an interesting, you know, we had an interesting conversation in the preseason about Virginia's like general state of the program, um, and I think I was probably more bullish 
than the consensus national. I think the Phil 68 did a whole thing like, oh, is you know, Tony Bennett in decline? How can he handle the new era? And it, it, to me, it felt a little bit like, oh, you know, it, it felt a little um, just vague in terms of like, oh, you know, can Tony Bennett do NIL? Can Tony, like, my hunch, though, was Virginia is talented and young, right? It's Elijah Gertrude and Leon Bond and Andrew Rohde and Isaac McNeely and, you know, Ryan Dunbar maybe is a pro, right? Like, it was young guys like that that were going to be kind of the nucleus going forward. And these were high-level recruits, high-level transfers. And, like, you know, watch out if these guys stick around for a little while. Like, I didn't think they would be Ty Jerome, but I thought they would be really good. I think the thing that's concerning to me is, like, I turn on Virginia, right? I watch the Notre Dame game. I watch the Wake Forest game. They feel so at a talent deficit. Part of that's the size. They just don't have the physicality and the, you know, the, the, the girth in the middle. But man, like I don't know, like I'm I'm curious your perspective on this. Like, do you do you have a concern level as to where this Virginia program is at the moment? Remember, this is a national title winner in the last five years. Yeah, because with, with the unique system, and, you know, we're kind of see that seeing this with teams that don't have quite a unique system, right? Like Xavier's looking great right now. Could be because all these new players, it took them some time to gel. And now it's and now it's kicking, right? Virginia's system is so unique, and they've thrived on retention that they may have more retention compared to most comparable teams. But it's not like it was when they were winning, winning a national championship, right? Like this year, they returned what, one starter, two bench pieces. And then added two transfers. Is that right? Or, or or was McNeely a starter last year? I don't think he was a starter. I mean, I can look. I thought he was right, so, so this is a team that lost four starters from last year. Right. That's that's retention based. Right. But you're going to theoretically lose Beekman and Dunn this offseason. Yeah, you're right? going to lose your two best players and Groves, who's your de facto, I guess, starting center. Right. Um, and, and so then the question is, okay, with McNeely – Rody, Buchanan, Bond, and Gertrude, like, is that enough retention and enough talent? Right. I think they're just going to be kind of chasing the clock always. I also right, think... Because, I, because other teams are going to add transfer, you know, more transfers to increase their talent level. And whenever you do that, you're losing some of your retention by, you know, putting in guys who don't really know how Bennett Ball works. I will say, I said this... Um, I said this uh, early in the season, probably preseason. I'm not convinced that like playing pack line right now is the is like an easy path to being a elite defense, right? Like that was the trend, right? Tony Bennett started that. You know, we certainly brought it to the masses, uh, and everyone played some form of pack line. Uh, you know, play in the gaps, force teams to shoot jump shots, and you know it, it worked to tremendous success. Right now, the national trend is not pack line in the gaps. It is pressuring the ball. It is no middle, force to the force to the you know you know hard ice, force to the sideline. Virginia, I mean, look, Virginia since the national championship, they had the number one defense in 2022 and couldn't score, or not 22, 2020 and couldn't score. Since then, so so COVID and beyond, 36, 59, 25, and 20 in defense. 
this is the best defense they've had in a while. It's, it's their best forcing turnovers defense. That might not stick by the time you know league play comes in. Yeah, I think that's an elevated tournament turnover numbers early in the year. Um, but this is still not like an overwhelming defense. Like you you cannot. I, I think people tend to think of Tony being kind of archaic, you know, you know, uh, the, the defense being, you know, the calling card and it is, but like, I think it's really like the mover blocker stuff. That's the problem. Like, I don't, I think they have to modernize how they play offensively because they're not going to, they're no longer going to be able to win games just with their defense. I mean, this isn't like a mover blocker roster or even like a, of the blockers. They just have right. the like where's Jack salt and Darian Atkins, right? Like, Anthony Gill, Isaiah Wilkins. Where's Isaiah? Yeah, Wilkins? All these guys are like big, stocky post players, and now we got Jacob Groves, who's what? He's is skinny. he even two hundred pounds? Yeah. Play, play, you know, Jack and threes, and you know, Ryan Dunn is the DeAndre Hunter mold of player, but without the offense. Right. Which yeah, is, look, I think they important. can be better. They can be better offensively. Um, than they've been. Um, with with more talent, I think you know playing Dunn is I think it's certainly hurt them. Like if they have one of the best defender, individual defenders of the Tony Bennett era, maybe the best in Ryan Dunn. I mean, he's one of the best defensive prospects in a long time. And they're still only the twentieth defense. Like, what does that say long term? Got to get more size in there, yeah. right? Because pack line, what that's forcing. The ball to the forcing the ball handler toward the bigs. Is that right? I think the primary thing is that you're playing in the gaps and forcing you to sh- them to shoot over you. Like if you look historically, Virginia's teams are always very, very high uh, defensively. It's either the best Tony Bennett defenses were forcing you to score in isolation quite a lot, and they were forcing you to shoot a ton of threes. So if you're taking pull up jump shots you're winning in the pack you know if you're you're, you're winning defensively you're forcing pull up jump shots the easiest way to play now is that steep drop it's like get a huge guy back like there. a monster big who can move which is not hard to find which is not not easy to find because because with the drop you're keeping your big around the basket for rebounds right like if you're switching or hedging your big is going to be away from the rebound half the time you're going to be like trying to sprint back from the three point line uh, to 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 block out his guy under the rim, but but with that drop you can just you know stay keep keep your big guys around the rim and force your guards to just run, run, run around the screens. But um, so that's that's Virginia, right? It's also kind of interesting. You know, we're talking about the uh, the uh, permanent zone defense is also kind of. Gone, gone by the wayside as shooting has increased. Although I saw Merrimack has like a crazy defensive efficiency right now. Well, Merrimack lower level, obviously, but Merrimack plays a super extended two-three zone. Like they really, really, really push out. Um, That's what Syracuse used to do too. Yeah, it's almost like a four-one as opposed to a two-three. Correct. But what they've done really well over Gallo's tenure is they force a ton of turnovers. And part of that's the league, but you know they are they're top 15 in the country pretty much every year in defensive turnover rate. Um, I'm actually curious now with Syracuse, like when was the last time they were like an elite turnover defense? Maybe when they had Pascal Chuku back there blocking shots. Three. So the year that they 
had who was this 2018 19 this was tyus battle o'shea brissett elijah hughes that team was an elite turnover defense and then like yeah like when they were at their best they were certainly turning you over a lot but they're very inconsistent with that because it's they took so many like white kids with no length oh overcorrected for shooting um so i did want to talk north carolina uh, and it's actually interesting to use the segue of defense. Um, North Carolina is defending at an elite level right now. Top five in the country on Ken Palm. Um, five straight games giving a, or six straight games giving up 70 or fewer points since the Kentucky game. Um, you wouldn't have expected this either. Trading, you know, Caleb Love out and Elliot Cadeau, the reclassed freshman in. And then you traded out. Leaky Black. Leaky for, Black for quarterback Ryan. So yeah. I asked Harrison Ingram about it post game on Saturday. And he said the thing that has helped them a lot defensively is um, he said that essentially there wasn't a lot of pride defensively early in the season and you know in previous years because they did so much switching. So like guys would get give up buckets and they would just like accept it. Because it, you know, it wasn't on them, right? It was just, you know, the switching, whatever it was, the matchup. Now they do a lot less switching off the ball, and so now guys are like hungry to get stops because, you know, if you give up 30 points, you gave up the 30 points. Right. Which, you know, I don't think I don't think that's everything, but I think it's something. And I think they're I think they just have a great chemistry. Harry, uh, he told me he, the other thing he said I thought was interesting. He said, like. They just have a great like shot. And he, he he used I think he used the word role allocation, which is is, a, is our favorite thing. And I was like, wow, if a college basketball team that actually cares about this, but they do kind of have the perfect mix, right? They have you know Davis is the guy is the go-to guy. Ingram's there to take catch and shoot threes and like be a glue guy, rebound, be tough. Cormac Ryan's like a secondary creator. He's okay with the you know with, without having the ball. Cadeau's gonna fly around, dish it. Baycott's gonna sit in the dunker. The bench is playing hard. I think Seth Trimble's been really good to be honest. Yeah. Jalen Washington was 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 good on uh, Saturday too. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm buying Carolina as a title contender. I will say I will say I mean look, they have been fortunate defensively lately with how poorly people have shot. I think teams are 12 for 86 in their last four games um, from three against them. That's certainly a uh, that's certainly a number that will make you look good. But I mean, quietly, you look around at this, you know, this resume. They have the home win over Tennessee. They have the given the neutral court win over um give the neutral court win, excuse me, over Oklahoma. Their only losses are Villanova, Yukon, and Kentucky. I think North Carolina, like, they really have a path to being right in the number one seed conversation. They gotta rip off some wins here. I mean, but but they will be favored in pretty much every game the rest of the way. Yeah, and with Arizona slipping again, you know, c- kind of like Purdue, but to worse teams. Yeah. And, I, I mean, who, who else are your one seeds? I mean, UConn and Purdue could could conceivably hold on to one seeds, and they could also, you know, lose lose more road games to middle-of-the-pack teams. Um, there's Arizona, if they can turn on the Jets and run through the Pac-12. Then there's whoever in the Big 12 can stack all, all their Q1 wins, which at this point, I don't know if any team is going to separate itself. Like, is 
Houston going to go 15-3? and three? I don't think so. They're already won two. Um, so we'll see. Um, elsewhere we need to get. Look, I mean, last last week was such a chaotic week. We can't grow through every uh, result because pretty much everyone lost, right? I mean, was there any in particular, and this seemed to kind of bring us to our next league, that you were particularly kind of moved by, surprised by? Jeez, I don't even remember. I think Kansas UCF was probably the one that I would say was like, wow. Yeah, that was last Tuesday, right? Yes. No, Wednesday, I believe. Okay, yeah, that was that was at the same time I think of Providence St. John's is why. Aha. Yes. I didn't watch um, that. There was that one, and then there was was that the same day as Purdue and Nebraska? No, Purdue Nebraska was Tuesday, because Purdue and Houston lost Tuesday, and then Kansas and Tennessee lost on Wednesday. But Houston TCU, yeah, all right. No, that was the Houston Iowa State game. Houston TCU was Saturday at six o'clock. Correct. Yeah. I, I, I watched that Houston-Iowa State game. Um, I, I've watched a ton of Iowa State over the years. I never noticed, or at least they never showed on ESPN, them doing the the choreographed fan dance. That was bizarre. You texted me, you're like, what is this? Like, everyone was like, students were doing it, little kids were doing it, adults were doing it, old people were doing it. I was impressed. Um, yeah, that, that was the... Uh, Milan Monk Momsilovich uh, corner fadeaway there. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised by those results. I think at the end of the day, Houston probably would have liked to have one of them, but it was always going to be hard to sweep that roadie. Um, I thought, I was just surprised. I just don't think UCS very good. I still don't. Um, and I think that type of performance from Kansas, and they're all over Oklahoma State right now, um, but that private performance in Kansas is a good, like, good vibe check of where they actually are, which is they're, 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 they're tough to kill. They can win a lot of high level games, but like, do you feel like Kansas is playing like a team that can win six straight in March right now? No, but I, I also feel the same way looking at Houston's roster, like going into that Iowa state game. I was like, this is our number one team. Like LJ Cryer, Emmanuel Sharp and Jamal Shedd. Like, I, I guess Sharp making the jump, probably, you know, the, but but this Houston team has, like, an elite defense with those three kind of smaller guards. Sharp's big physically, but short. And then they just have three bigs that that they rotate to that just rebound the hell out of the ball. They're just super long. But, but by like, the way, I don't, I don't disagree with you, for what it's worth, that it doesn't feel like they're, like, a true title contender. Their metrics make it a requirement that you consider them. Right. In in the preseason, I had Houston like 18th, which is probably low. But looking at the roster, it does feel like a three or four seed type of roster. Um, you have to but, settle into the fact that um, every Kelvin Sampson team is going to be elite in the regular season. Roberts looks bigger physically, too. Tugler's huge. Francis is huge, and it is. Tugler is going to be a monster. Tugler is going to be a monster next year. Next year, yeah. Him and Francis in the front court. <laughs> Give me a break. 
Yeah, but they're going to be like you, even better defensively. You just look at the team and you're just like, I can't believe this is my number one team. But uh, it, it, you know, in terms of Iowa State, I mean, they're 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 playing great. Gilbert's better than I would have thought. Lipsy made a huge jump. I thought he was like a Dewan Harris 2.0. He, you know, he's playing like at an alpha level. Mom, Monkilovich is one of the best freshmen in the country, and they have their own bruising bigs themselves. Yeah, Milan is really good. The Iowa State thing, like they, you know, you were just waiting for them to actually accomplish something. They had had such kind of an underwhelming week at that Orlando tournament where they lost to AM and Virginia Tech, neither of whom is like a surefire tournament team at the moment. But, you know, now that the Houston win, I think people will feel better about them. And they're also playing BYU tonight. So maybe our opinions will change here shortly. I saw Cincinnati got got the win tonight. I thought that they could be in trouble um, just, you know, quantity of loss-wise. Um, but now they have the win at, at BYU and home against TCU, which – they still have to win, you know. I think they six, court six more killer games, but I think they ho- court stormed home TCU, which is like preposterous behavior. But that is there. See, I I have an issue with with the bracketologies because it's it's so rigid, it's so like myopic. Where like everyone had like TCU, Texas, and Kansas State on like the next four outs or first four outs like a few days ago. And it's just like, like, do you really think that like TCU is not going to go nine and nine in the big 12? And like, if they do, they're obviously in the tournament. I just don't understand like the purpose of them right now. I under, yeah, it just feels like dumber than ever to be like how locked in we are. It's like, like I'm watching these games. Like it's January 16th, like Florida, Tennessee and Joe and, and we're getting Sean Farnham, like citing the Joe Lenardi talk. Like, what does it matter? Like, Tennessee, Florida's, you know, Florida's on the fringes right now. Oh, well, yeah, they're, they're playing the, the, the number five team in the country on the road. It's not like they're expected to win. And and kind of like with Michigan State, where I feel like people are like, oh, they're on the ropes. It's like, no, they're not. Like, yeah, they have a I, lot of losses now, but they're going to win 13, 14 Big, Big Ten games. Yeah, Norlander tweeted, like, oh, you know, Mich- you know, Michigan State's teetering on losing its NCAA tournament streak. It's like way early to say that. And they're what, like tenth in the in the, in the metrics? I they're mean, sixteenth in Ken Palm. They're favored in like eleven of their next twelve games. Like yes, if Michigan State loses, you know, here, so, so 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 here's their next their next five games: home Minnesota, at Maryland, at Wisconsin, home Michigan, home Maryland. If they lose more than one of those games. We can freak out about Michigan State. Yeah, because because they're 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 two and four, Correct. but three of those losses are on the road: Nebraska, Northwestern, and Illinois. Who, as of right now, they're all tournament teams, um, and then home Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, and none the, of those losses are terrible. I mean, I, look, I, I don't think qualitatively Michigan State's that that good. Like, I really did think they were turning the corner. Um, down the stretch, but and and then they you know the last three have not been as impressive. I know they found a way to win that Rutgers game. I didn't think they were that good though for most of it. Um, and then they just kind of like surged. 
like like for a while I thought Rutgers had a chance to steal that game, and then all of a sudden they just kind of fell apart. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't think they're that good. Like their remaining schedule, they have at Wisconsin, they have home Illinois, and they have at Purdue. Yeah, they could. They're they're favored in all but two games. I know T T rank hasn't going twelve and eight, but I'm taking the over on that. I I bet they're like thir- thirteen and seven or fourteen and six for sure. But we'll see. Even at twelve and eight, they're they're in the tournament. So agreed. Um, is there anyone else Big Ten that we really want to talk about? Mar- Maryland beating Illinois on the road was like a sneaky wild result, but I think a lot of it's just matchup. It's part of it, like Maryland has owned Illinois. Um, but, you know, I, I've talked about this. Illinois blew the doors off Northwestern because Northwestern wants to – Northwestern's best defense is blitzing you in ball screens. And Illinois plays in no ball screens, so they just fly downhill, right? Michigan State plays Northwestern. They lose because Northwestern wants to blitz ball screens. Michigan State plays a ton of ball screens. Michigan State gets completely blown up on their actions. Um. Maryland, Illinois. Illinois wants to switch everything. That's why they've been good a lot of times defensively. The, you know, they, they have so much versatility. Coleman Hawkins is 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 attacking. You know, a lot of these um, is, is 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 dominating guards defensively. Like just doing an incredible job. Um, you play Maryland, one of the only teams in the league who has a really good post up big. So here comes. You know, switch, you know, Coleman Hawkins gets switched off of Julian Reese, and it's Damask versus Julian Reese. It's Ty Rogers versus Julian Reese. And Julian Reese pummeled them. I mean, he had 20 points. He passed out for buckets. Jameer Young had a good game. Maryland wins, right? Like, I think the Big Ten has a lot more stylistic variety this year. And because of that, there's just been a lot of weird or, you know, weird seeming results, you know, or, 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 or like outlier, like score line results. And I think it's just matchup dependent. I agree with that. And also, I think we, we left Maryland for dead because of a bad first week and because they looked ridiculous. Where they, when, when you're a team that can't score, there are times where you just look absolutely correct, ab- abhorrent. But talent-wise, it's not that bad. That's why we all put Maryland top 30 in the, in the preseason. They have talent. I got a score for you. Mid podcast blind react. Seton hall, 57 St. John's 29. I have it on yet. 28 to nothing run. No, really? Yeah. It was 24, 24. <laughs> you mean 29, 29? No, 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 no. The, the the score was 24-24. Seton Hall went on a 28 nothing run, and then Glenn Taylor hit a jumper. That is remarkable. I guess without Patino, they're just yeah, it's, lying down. I've watched enough Steve Massiello at uh, Manhattan. This is this is what it looks like. And and this is also tough, you know, with with, with teams turning the corner at, after a bad non-conference. Um, Seton Hall and Creighton on Saturday. How about that for? Is that at Creighton? At Seton Hall. There's that's a game for the taking. You know, you gotta win it. 
And then Marquette at St. John's at the same time, which kind of sucks. But. Um, going out west quickly. I wanted to mention Colorado. So Colorado's only win since New Year is over the weekend against USC. That was no Boogie Ellis, no Isaiah Collier. And Colorado trailed by like 15 at the half and rallied one. How, like, it feels very concerning. They're doomed. They're, they're like best win or like one of their best, what, one or two wins is a neutral over Richmond. Yeah, then they beat them. They beat Miami, right? Yeah. We don't know who's that good. They just lost to Louisville. The whole whole Pac-12 is in a tough spot. Um, yeah, Mike Hopkins' seat's on fire. They just lost the corpse of UCLA. I think the only teams I really feel good about at the moment are Arizona. Um, or Oregon. Oregon at 5-0, and but, I mean, they have work to do because they didn't do anything in the non-conference. They're they only got blown out by Syracuse. Is, is Michigan at home. And Arizona has given equity to Washington State and Stanford, two teams who are not in the mix right now. Right. We'll see if they can get into it. But, like, if if a Utah and Colorado, who I I, I would have put second and third easily going into Pac-12 play, if they're not going to separate themselves, like, they didn't do that much. Now, you, Utah has the BYU win. I think they got maybe one other one in the, in the Charleston Classic. Um, but they haven't done a ton to lock in a bid if they're going to lose seven, eight league games. Um, I was going to say, I think the problem you have, and this is this has been an issue for the Pac-12, is where are the opportunities coming from, right? Like if you're Oregon, you've won five in a row, you're five and zero oh in the league, you're feeling pretty good. But, like, what have you actually accomplished? You have, like, two kind of fringy wins over Washington and Washington State that aren't tournament teams. You have home wins, home sweep over USC, UCLA, who are not tournament teams. Um, like, here, here here, you go this weekend. Like, this is your opportunity. You play at Colorado, you play at U- Utah. You got to get at least one. You might need both. Probably just the one. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's there's nothing else to say. <laughs> like, um, at least they're getting healthy. But. Meanwhile, the Mountain West people are all pushing for six bids. I find that highly unlikely. None of these teams are any are are are, are that good. Like, I acknowledge. The improbability of them winning this many sort of toss-up games. I acknowledge that they're good, that they're tournament good. Right. But like no one is going to be scared to see any of these six teams in the NCAA. They're all like they're all like slightly better than bubble teams, probably. I think you'd probably say the best one, Colorado State or San yeah. Diego State. I, I mean, Colorado State's losing right now to Air Force at home. These teams, they they don't have like a ton of size, 
right? Like Boise State is running out with Omar Stanley at center. Um, who was a nice nice role player at St. John's, but like, how am I going to be scared of a team, you know, who's playing this like six eight old old school power forward at at the five? If I'm go, going up against high major front courts every game, you know, like the, the talent level doesn't really move the needle, but at some point you have to respect their, I guess, co- cohesion and playing above the talent level, but. Um, I, 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 I would not be surprised if we get another situation where a bunch of these teams are losing first round games and, and we start with that whole narrative again. But, but people, people act like you're some big fraud because like you lost a game that you were a 50, 50 team, you know, it's really bizarre. But I mean, I, I, I just on the, the mechanics, I'm not convinced that the pack that the uh, mountain West can get six because I just don't think they're letting in these teams where they go 10 and eight in the league. Like, We've seen these teams' resumes just kind of fade as other teams get more opportunities in league play. Um, like it, it just feels like they've consistently been devalued more and more. Um, because the wins stop mattering as much when you're doubling up wins from the first time, you know, the first time, and then these Big Ten teams are like getting a huge win every night. Now that that, that may not happen this year, it doesn't feel like there's as many leagues that feel as like threatening or strong. But, you know, I, I do think it's like a real I, I think I think it'll be hard. I think they can get five. I think five is possible. I think four is still the most likely. Who's on the outside for you, Boise and then New Mexico or? Um, probably, yeah. Nevada just lost at home to Boise, but right, it's just so day to day. Right. It's at the end of the day. They're all like, pretty even. Yeah. Like, whoever protects their home court. I think. I think I think if you ask me who are the worst of the group, I would say it's Boise and it's it's probably Boise and New Mexico. But New Mexico but, is the best home court. And Nevada and Utah State can't be too far ahead. I mean No, I don't think I think Utah State's probably the least trustworthy. But they just win all these. I mean, they, they they pulled that win against UNLV like completely out of the sky. Right, and and UNLV is like the Xavier of the Mountain West, where yes. they're very talented. They stubbed their toe a million times in the non-con. They can they can really screw screw stuff up for people. Well, the only uh, thing, as long as you don't lose at home to UNLV, you're okay. The road but, UNLV is not going to kill you. But what they have going for them is a nice. Upstairs, downstairs, outside oh, yeah. of uh, Vegas, right? But like Air Force, Wyoming, um, San Jose, and the last team I can't remember. Um, Fresno. Fresno. There's just so much worse that you're probably okay. The, the the thing that would scare me are so like Colorado State, for instance, is struggling with Air Force right now because Colorado State just can't, like, dog people athletically. They just don't have the the, 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 the athleticism and the physicality. So, like, Air yeah. Force is just making shots, and, like, they run their really, you know, they run good stuff, obviously. But Air Force has made a ton of threes, and they're running, you know, good. They're good they're, you can't, like, it's hard to disrupt their actions when you're not, like, overwhelmingly more athletic, right? Like, San Diego State, I feel pretty stable about, like, being in the tournament because, worst case, they're just going to dog all these bad teams at the bottom. But Colorado State is right. the best resume, I think, probably. 
Yeah, with that huge Creighton win. Creighton win, um, Washington on a neutral, St. Mary. They lost to St. Mary's, but they beat Colorado at home. Like they have some real wins. If uh, we could talk WCC, or or do you have anything else with Mount West? No, let's go WCC real quick. Yeah, Gonzaga. Because obviously Santa Clara does does a great job against Gonzaga. I I watched that game. Although I don't really see the Adama Ball NBA. Oh, stuff it's that crazy. Came that game. He's just like a big wing who bullies his way to the rim. Yeah, he's huge, but he's not very athletic. Also, Adama he, Ball followed up his Gonzaga game with four points on one for eight from two against St. Mary's and three turnovers. I guess he, I I don't think he's as good of an athlete as Kadari Richmond, but like he could be like what sophomore Kadari Richmond was like his first year at Seton Hall. Um, so maybe he has that to to, to grow. But I feel like he's he's benefiting a lot from the Pajemski and uh, Jalen Williams last two years. Well, I uh, will say though, I thought for a lot of that year that Pajemski was that. Where I was like, oh, you know, he's not really an NBA player. He's just having a great year and like. Jalen Williams, everybody wants to do the next one. And now Pajemski's, like, amazing, too. But yeah, so I – after that, I said, okay, looks like we have our top four in the WCC with San Fran, Santa Clara, St. Mary's, and Gonzaga. Then Santa Clara got their doors blown off against St. Mary's. You say, well, maybe St. Mary's has it figured out. But the last time I said that, they followed up with a loss to Missouri State at home. So I guess, do we have a best team? I mean, San, San Francisco hasn't played Gonzaga or St. Mary's yet. I believe they play St. Mary's either Thursday or Saturday, uh, but that's coming up. Do you have a best team at this point? I still think Gonzaga is the best team in the league. What what do we attribute these p- periodic St. Mary's blowouts to? Just hot shooting then they can't do athleticism or well i think st mary's is just like they're so technical that they just like will literally suck the life out of you like when they're rolling they will just like out execute you and destroy you and you can't score against them like you can't just like clear out and play iso against them so you just get you know I, I think the best team is Gonzaga. I think we're not that far from Gonzaga being in trouble for making the tournament as an at-large. I don't think the Santa Clara one's the one that dooms them. But I think they're one more of those, one more non-St. Mary's loss from being in a little bit of interesting footing. Although I guess San Francisco is. The, Gonzaga has to win its home games, and it has to not lose to like a quad three. So, so do you think that they can get a at large with their current profile of doing nothing? Probably, yeah. Like, like nothing bad, but nothing good, yeah. I think yes. I think. I think historically, those types of teams have gotten in more than often than not. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting, guys. I do want to see San Francisco. I know Jonathan Magbo is making the the rounds with. With with the draft people, um, like a six eight super versatile defensive player. I was first to the Jonathan Mogbo train. He transferred well, from Missouri State to San Francisco last year. I tweeted out like 
Missouri State was like plus 20 with him on the floor and minus 20 with him off. They were like a, they were like a, he was like a 40 point split per 100 point per 100 possessions. That, that's a good find. Yeah, here he is. Yeah, I, I think that the WCC is a one bid league. I think you're probably right. I think same. I think you might get two. I think it'd be fun if Gonzaga and St. Mary's both missed and we got a third team. It's like Saint, Saint, can you imagine if like San Francisco was the only uh, WCC team this year? I mean, I guess it would be a sign of things to come when um, Gonzaga leaves. And also, um, Todd Golden, who obviously got San, San Francisco to, to the NCAA tournament a few years ago, uh, it's not going so hot for him. I think people are a little overreacting. Like, what game have they lost that they shouldn't have lost? I mean, Wake Forest without Efton Reed, right? Okay, but, like, we're reacting to that now? No, I think we did at the time. But they just... Now, back-to-back years, they've had top top 25 talent. They're putting out, like, a top 50 product. You think they were top 25 talent last year? In the preseason, I ranked them. Right, but, but, I mean, looking looking back, when you watch that team, it was crazy to say they were top 25 talent. They had no players. They only had one good player. It was Colin Castleton. Then it Will Richard, who stand on the corner. And then Riley Kugel, who is, like, kind of a dickhead. No, who who was their guard last year? Didn't didn't Kyle Lofton. He had a great pedigree. Yeah, but he he had no separate he had no ability to separate. I told people not to rank them in the preseason last year. Did you rank them this year? Uh no, I had them like 30th. Okay. I th- like I, I think they're probably a little worse than I had them in the preseason. I had them as like 30th. I think they're probably like 40th. Um, I was telling you that the EJ Jarvis thing was a bigger deal than people realized. I mean, the EJ Jarvis thing has no, no, nothing to do with why they're not good. Because Condon is great, super talented. Hand locked in is good. Is it, isn't Jarvis more, more versatile? He's like a four or five still. Oh. The only, the only thing is he would have taken Thomas Howe's minutes. Probably, and Thomas Howe's not bad. He's not great. I, th- I thought Jarvis was supposed to be more of like a. Uh, uh, I don't know if I can think of a good good comparison, but like uh maybe like a KC and Defo? No, 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 no. He's not like good defensively. He is an interesting player. Like I think I think it would have helped them. Like they would rather have him than not, but I'm just saying I don't think he's like a uh I don't think he's like a huge reason Def- that their their issue right now is that their team is two mid major guards. Because Riley Kugel is not that good. Like, like Riley Kugel is shooting 29% from the three. He's had he had a good game against Arkansas. It's the only game they won, but like he was completely useless against Ole Miss. He basically got benched. Um, he just doesn't like fit. And I so, so now it's just like Zion Pullen, Walter Clayton, and then they're playing the two bigs. Like today against Tennessee, the two bigs thing was a big problem. Um, because um, the two the two biggest the two thing was two big thing was a problem because it just kind of c- crowded the paint and when you were like Zion Pullen and T- Walter Clayton trying to drive like Zakai Ziegler like it's just a lot harder I think they're having issues athletically look I I I think the I think the true I think everyone knew coming in that this like opening stretch was brutal home Kentucky at Ole Miss that wanted to be harder than you would have expected. Home Arkansas at Tennessee. Arkansas is easier than expected. At Mizzou is a little easier. But now they settle in. 
Now they go at Mizzou, home Mississippi State, home Georgia. Like, you got to win those three. You win those three, feel better about yourself. You lose a couple of those, yeah, you're probably in trouble. I will be interested to see if, if they do miss the tournament, will he try to parachute? But I don't think he will. In terms of the year year two guys that could could be feeling the heat, it doesn't seem like there's any buzz about Matt Matt McMahon losing his job either. So I think they're both. Well, he's a long con. He's like a seven year deal. He's a seven year deal. Something like that. With his transfer portal desperation this year, it felt like he was under a lot of pressure. No, I think he just didn't want to suck again. Seems reasonable. When I checked last week and I and I sent this to you, LSU was playing 12 guys double figure minutes. And now part of that was like Damian Collins missed some time. I think Wilkinson missed some time. Cook obviously missed a chunk of the year. Like you got to trim that down. They're starting to play a little bit better, I will say. What's going on uh, with your cut? Your Colorado State Rams are down six with nine minutes left to Air Force. This game has been, like, an insane watch in that, like, Colorado State schemes open shot, they miss. Air Force schemes contested shot, they make. Like, it's just – and then I saw, like – I saw actually saw my first flop of the year. First flop call. They called On Colorado a, State? Yeah, home, home, home game. Colorado State gets called for a Isaiah Stevens flop. After the possession before, there was a flop by Air Force, no, no call. It was like I couldn't I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was like, what is this ref doing? But yeah, like it's like Colorado State pressed for a possession. They gave up a layup. Now they're like dropping back into a zone. Like they're just like they're just like throwing whatever, just throwing the kitchen sink at uh at Air Force. We'll see if they can uh find a way to win this one. These are the just survive and advance games, you know. Oh yeah. Screw the metrics, just get get that win. Right. You've done enough for your metrics where you're like you're not you're not missing the tournament because of like not beating Air Force by 15. You just got to get in the get in the dance. You got to you, you can't lose this game at home. So we we have these four kind of interesting ish SEC middle of the pack teams playing right now. Are you buying South Carolina? No, no, not at all. I'm not either. But like, we weeks keep on going by and their record is still pristine. Right, I mean that's the thing though. It, 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 with a lot of these th- teams, like when you when you what, as long as you take care of your business, you can hang on for a while. Georgia gave up a big big opportunity against Tennessee. I think they're probably a year away at least here. Um, and then Texas A&M and Arkansas, where you go back and forth with A&M. They they beat Kentucky over the weekend. They lose to LSU and cost me a strike in Eliminator Challenge the the the, the week prior. Uh, now they're down to ten to Arkansas, who kind of left for dead. But you always have that must yeah dead cat must resurgence in, in the back of your mind. I don't think they're resurging. I think it's just a dead cat bounce, just like UCLA beating Washington. Like Arkansas does not blow, get blown out the way that they did the other day and not turn around and win that game. So, so we're still thinking no uh, patented must turn around. 
I don't think though. I think they stink. I I just think their roster is very ill-fitted. And as Trilly Donovan posted the other day, Moss may have his eyes to the north, to a Louisville, or to the west, to UCLA. Would that be assuming Mick gets Louisville, and and they tell him, we don't care about your sixteen million dollar buyout? I I do think Louisville is the more likely outcome, but I think if if you were to miss Louisville to Mick, I think he would pivot to UCLA, and I think he would be excited about it. I think he would pivot to USC if somehow USC opened. I don't think it will. We're still getting like Bronny score updates even when he scores zero points. Did you, you see that from over the weekend? Dude, I'm so tired of the kid gloves with him. It's a nice story that he's healthy now, but we don't have to pretend that he's playing well. We don't have to pretend. The audience is smart enough. LeBron himself, I'm sure, would say they're not playing well. They're not very good. Like he's not, you know, he's not, he hasn't been that good. Right? I mean, Bronny's shooting 35% from the field. I I expected if if, if Bronny would go scoreless in a game, they wouldn't mention it. They wouldn't be like, no, but he looked good. People yeah, people, people people feel obligated to announce that you know actually he's playing hard. Actually he defends. It's really stupid. Did you see that uh, URI is undefeated with David Green in the lineup? Well, what is going on with this guy? He was supposed to be their second-best player this year. But didn't he, like, do nothing at Louisiana Tech? Yeah. yeah David Green averaged 7.2 points per game as a sophomore at Louisiana Tech. And I was averaging 15 points per game at Rhode Island. For the 3-0. But the A-10 is very fascinating because – Every every team feels like one to two wins away from being from getting a better job and one to two games from being fired. Right. Like I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, you know, UMass is playing pretty well. Like, I, you know, you know, UCF opens. Maybe uh, we get Frank back down south and then they lose to like URI by 15. I'm like, oh, geez, like what's the direction here? Right. Loyola's three and one in the league. You're like, oh, yeah, like Drew could get DePaul. Drew could get Minnesota. Um you know, George, George Washington, like, lost at home to Fordham. I was like, well, they're cooked. Then they turn around. They they, they, they win, like, three straight. Here we go. Chris Caputo, like, is he getting Miami when Laranega retires? You know, like, Duquesne's 0-4 in the league now. You're kind of like, all right, this could this could finally be uh, be it for Dan Broth. I think he's a good coach, but, you know, they're pretty, pretty underwhelming right now. Um, you just you just whip around the league. It's like, it's, it's whiplash. The only team that seems to be any consistent is, is Dayton. And then there's Richmond, who somehow is 4-0 in the league. Is a road win at Duquesne, a road win at Loyola. And, and, and I think that the, the A-10 is going to be one one bid with Dayton. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dayton kind of plays their way out of um, the at-large at area. I mean, when I watched them earlier in the year, they were very bubbly to me. Like watching them versus St. John's, watching them. Um, there's one other one too, maybe the SMU game. Or like this, this certainly does not feel like a top 25 team. Like I again, kind of like with 
Utah State, I get it's impressive that they've won all these, you know, semi-important games, you know, quad twos or whatever they were, but I I don't watch this Dayton team, and it screams Obi Top and Dayton or, you know, a team that people have now is like a three seed. They, they just, it's, a, it's just the resume. It's the only thing. Until they start losing these A-10 games, right? And they will. Like, like you know, they'll get tripped up, and all of a sudden, you know, they'll lose to LaSalle next week, and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, there goes that. But at least for now, I mean, it, their, their, their resume is like, well, we have all these wins, and our only losses are to good teams. Which their losses are to what, Houston. And Houston. Houston and Northwestern. That Northwestern win for is actually going to wind up being very important for Northwestern because they didn't do much else in their non-conference. And the league isn't as good. Great. So so do you think that both Northwestern and Nebraska makes a tournament? Uh, yeah, I think right now, yes. Yeah. Doesn't mean that it'll stay that way. I think the margin for both are relatively slim. Same with but the Buckeyes. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I think it's gonna be hard to get all of those. Is the thing. But do we have anywhere else we really want to get to? Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of crazy that Cal and Stanford are gonna be in the ACC next year. <laughs> it's a hilarious thing to think about. I will say Harrison Ingram was talking post game at the uh, Carolina game. He said he like the, the the biggest adjustment by far, like was the atmospheres uh, in the ACC. <laughs> like it just he was like people really care. Like yeah, which I mean, it's funny. Like I mean, they they played like at Pitt and at Clemson. And it's like oh my god, like this this place is a is a nut house compared to like every like like wine and cheese Pac-12 crowd. And I guess Kane and Carlisle is now playing re- really well for Stanford. I saw him on a mock draft. Um, yeah, he has Jer- been good. Jared Bynum hurt again. I think he's literally been hurt every year. Um, SMU would probably come in, what, fourth or fifth place in the ACC this year. SMU is pretty good. Yeah, not actually, but, like, metrics-wise they would. But SMU is one of those teams that uh, – it's funny. We In the preseason, we said, I don't know how they're going to defend, but they got all these guards. And now, like, Zurich Phelps can't make a shot. Chuck Harris has been decent, but like they they're like a monster defense thanks to uh Keon Ambrose Hilton and uh they have Tyreek Smith in the front court rotation. Uh, Samuel Williamson, right? Yeah, they just got a lot of size, physicality. Running people on the glass. Best three point defense in college basketball. Oh, and talking about kid gloves. Florida Atlantic. What why are we still ranking them? Probably Memphis, too, for that matter. Well, let, like, me, let me put it this way. On FAU, the only thing I will say is they're still actually really good in the metrics. They have great wins. The losses are the losses. But, like, I mean, if, if they weren't, if they were ranked two weeks ago, why would they be unranked after beating UAB and Tulane? I mean, they escaped against Tulane. Yeah, but, man, Memphis escaped, game. like, four times, yeah. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't have an issue with the Tulane thing. Look, Mem- Memphis is... I feel like there's a team like this every year where like they're just just sort of outrunning the uh, 
outrunning the hate? This this was Providence twenty one twenty two. Memphis, how about this? Memphis wins at Mizzou first first week of the year. Well, it's a nice road win. Well, it turns out Mizzou's pretty terrible. Uh, then they they go to the uh, battle for Atlantis. They beat Michigan. They beat Arkansas. All right, they had a very productive week, even though they lost to Villanova in the championship game. Well, it turns out Michigan and Arkansas are both terrible. You lose to Villanova. You lose to Ole Miss. Okay, those those teams are pretty good theoretically. Um, great. Win at but those are losses. At VCU, yeah, they're they're kind of terrible. At Texas A&M, well, they're they're kind of terrible. Uh, home Clemson, well, that doesn't mean quite as much as it did a couple weeks ago. Clemson's probably closer to a bubble team. Yeah, this is just a distract again by this Colorado State game. There should have been a shot clock violation. So they got a flagrant one on Colorado State for like a hook and hold. Just you, you don't win the games. You don't win games like this. Um, sorry to get distracted. Clemson, uh, as you said, not that good. Virginia, wow, they blew out Virginia. What a statement by the Memphis Tigers. Oh, well, it turns out that Virginia actually stinks. So <laughs> they've really built this entire resume on belief that the teams that they're beating are good without actually beating it, without those teams actually proving to be any good. Literally every team they beat, they, they, they beat them at like the peak of their perception. They're the Grim Reaper. Every team yeah. that they beat, it ends their season. I mean, that's that's really bad luck. But at the end of the day, you haven't beat anyone really uh, who, who's all that good. Uh, you know, facts are facts. But no, it's. I wonder if the Memphis fans just aren't as loud as the Providence fans were from two years ago. Because it's the exact same situation. Like, you're winning all these games. Maybe they're not up in the Ken Palm luck ranking or whatever. Um, but like I saw Gary Parrish had Memphis like sixth. And then on T rank, T rank had Memphis like 55. They might be up now because they blew up Wichita over the weekend. They were at 51 over the weekend. Now they're at the 46 again. So I don't know why it hasn't caught on about like Memphis's frauds. Versus, oh no, Ken Palm is fraud. Um, maybe we're still a couple weeks away from that. But. I think the thing with Memphis is like they're just they, until they lose one of these games, people are just going to be like rising them, rising them, rising them, and then eventually they'll lose and it'll like fall apart like a house of cards. Do we have anything else? Just trying to think. I think we've covered it. Yeah. All right, folks. Hopefully our podcast doesn't become null and void after like a million upsets in the next day and a half like it did last week. Appreciate you sticking with us. See you all next week.